welcome to Liberating Libraries. A podcast by the Conspiracy of Equality. My name is Caitlin. And my name is Blake. And if you want to know more about who the Conspiracy of Equality is, you can check out our website, liberatinglibraries.org. So this is um, our kind of reboot of a podcast, that a project that we've been working on for the last couple of years. And today we're just going to kind of take a step back and think about why we're doing this project. Yeah, and think about what we're hoping to get out of it and what we hope you as listeners get out of it. So you may or may not know, we already have some episodes that we've created over the past year or so um, dealing with different books and how they inform our activism and our thinking about the world and social justice. But um, this is going to be really kind of digging into why we're doing this project at all. So where do you think the idea behind the podcast came I don't, where does any of our ideas come from? I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I think um, one of the things that the podcast was really based on the, um, the realization that reading fiction in particular is a really important part of both of our lives, but that it's a part of our lives that we don't necessarily separate from the lives that we have as people concerned about oppression in the world and concerned about all the things that we see going on around us. And so we wanted to talk about the fact that those things are connected. Yeah, I think absolutely that's kind of where I saw it coming from as well. It's just like I've really begun to really enjoy reading. And I find that fiction opens up so many different worlds to me in ways that nonfiction doesn't. And Mm -hmm. it allows me to see different worlds and present different ideas to kind of round out what my politics looks like. Because I think when you look at nonfiction, and not to slag nonfiction, I read a lot of nonfiction too, but like it, it, it's limiting in the stories that it can tell and how those stories can be told. Um, whereas fiction opens doors all the way around on how these stories can get told and how they get told kind of informs us as people and how we you know, interact with other people in our daily lives. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people have something like that for them, whether it is fiction reading or whether it's, you know, um, their engagement with movies or with television series or some kind of media or art. And so we're not saying that, like, if you don't read fiction, you can't be an activist or something like that. But we, we we are just trying to explore this intersection between art and social justice or art and activism Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, sometimes uh, we don't necessarily think of ourselves as the whole people that we are, especially when we're trying to like respond to crises or inequalities around us. Um, And we have to compartmentalize the sort of the people that we are when we're engaging with art versus the people we want to be when we're engaging with power. And as well, kind of, um, I think there's a lot of richness that we both know and and feel like we can draw from, from reading. And I also just think that, like, I think at the moment that we really started to think seriously about this podcast, like, I think it's, it's worth giving a shout out to Octavia Butler for Mm. this, because we had both sort of come off of reading The Parable of the Sower and The Parable of the Talents, which actually became our first episode, and really sort of... It wasn't our first introduction to like politically driven literature, but it was it was sort of a moment of being like, this is something worth talking about from an activist perspective. Yeah. And I mean, I think 
it wasn't so like her books were fantastic, but it was also we were reading them in the shadow of Trump, like both the, the election campaign and like kind of like the inauguration area where like her books just breathe so much into like the moment that we were understanding that it was just like it's something that we need to talk about like it just it felt very very present and very very important that we start to look at these connections and how they can help further the work So do we want to talk now just a bit about what is fiction to us? Yeah. Um, that's such a weird question. What is fiction to us? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I helped write, write these questions. Um, so I think for me, fiction, like, it's an art form. It's, and in particular, we're talking about, like, um, literary fiction, not so much the popular fiction. Um, but it's... It's about stories. It's about others. It's about figuring out a way to understand kind of complex emotions through complex like characters, through complex situations, and kind of where those emotions can take people and where those emotions kind of lead us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things for me, so I come from an academic background or, I, or like I sort of got sucked into academia for a long time. That's a better way of saying it. Um, And I think for me, one of the things that I love about reading fiction is that um, it's unconstrained by the sort of demands of objectivity or unconstrained by the demands of reality. And I like thinking about it that way because it's not that fiction isn't true because a lot of, like, fiction is derived from truth and it it speaks multiple truths for people, but it's not constrained by having to live up to certain sort of standards of objectivity, which we can talk about how those standards are kind of not necessarily true anyway. What I like to think about is how it's storytelling that doesn't have to sort of abide by a lot of the, the rules of reality and objectivity, but at the same time is still speaking truths and that mm. kind of paradox of being both very, very true and also not constrained by like what we consider real is um, really interesting and it provides a lot of freedom. So fiction is like a place where we get to be free and where there's a freedom to explore and adventure with ideas and, and character and thoughts. And with meaning. So, like, you can make meaning out of multiple registers um, uh, in a way that you don't necessarily get to with nonfiction. Um, I also think that that means that fiction has... uh, Fiction can potentially participate in freedom and participate in liberation. Um, But it's like, you know, on a very basic level, fiction is political because it's situated in a world that is constrained by power. And so, like... Fiction is political because it's all there are questions about who gets to tell stories, what stories get told, how do they get read, how do they get published and distributed, what's the material conditions, all of that sort of stuff is the politics of fiction. But then the other reason for me that that fiction is political is because it's the question of what is the possibility of fiction? What is the possibility of fiction to practice freedom and to practice liberation? 
for for us. Hmm. Yeah, I really like those, and I think like the fact of like who gets published and who we choose to read is deeply, deeply political, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, and and this is something that has been rehashed so much over the last few years, right? When I just remember it was like one of the men's websites put out of like the hundred best books you must read. Okay, like, what do you mean match. by men's like websites? like Esquire or okay. like GQ? One of those two. Like, <laughs> not, not MRA websites. No, 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 no. Obviously not MRA websites. Um, but it was like the hundred best books you sh- like every man should read, and it was like I think two of the authors were women. Mm-hmm. So like there was this huge blowback against like a lot of people being like this is absolutely horrendous. Like what are you doing? And like so people started to create their own. Um, so like, I just think even just having something simple as that, that like what stories we're hearing, we're making sure we're changing. And for me, I kind of mentioned it before, but it's just like, for me, it's the emotional journeys is so important and it puts the politic, like we'll put the politics of emotion so much more clearer because I think for me as an activist and and it's a struggle for me, it's, there's this, always this desire to trying to make things seem so rational and fiction it allows you to hear people and see people that are not necessarily that that are emotional and are full of emotional and take these wild kind of journeys where it's just like why did you do that and trying to understand where they're coming from Mm -hmm. and so it places emotion so if we can like take emotion in, in, in the literature that we're reading and try to center that in our activism it to understand that things aren't actually rational and that we need to figure out a way to be whole people. And you can't be whole people while just trying to be kind of rational, non-emotional about things. It's okay to be emotional. So we need to figure out how to harness that. And I think fiction can, you know, give us some guidelines or give us, open our imaginations to how that is possible and to mm-hmm. what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it's like, like when we thought about what we were going to use as the introduction for the liberating libraries and and stuff, we talked about, you know, imagination and empathy Mm -hmm. in particular, and this idea of um, attunement to difference. And the reason like, we use the word attunement is because, you know, the rational um, approach is to say that we come to some kind of analytic understanding of sort of benefits of something but attunement is about how you feel and like adjusting your feelings to to move towards something else um and that the fact that like that's actually a lot of how we actually exist in the world and interact in the world is super important yeah um and it actually kind of feeds into something i was thinking about too um how we as as people are so drawn towards complexity, right? The complexity of the human condition is like the thing that actually um, drives most narrative and narratives and is the thing that like compels people. So we're super compelled by the complexity of the human condition and, you know, the non-human condition as well. And, um, but at the same time, how do we move that like complexity, the thing that we're compelled by into the realm of how we fight for a better world or how we like mobilize against power and against oppression. Because if, if the complexity of the world is the thing that compels us, it's the reason we're drawn to narratives over and over again, then it's like clearly 
like a deep-seated motivation that that we need to cultivate and think mm-hmm. about. And I think like this is not a fully formed thought, but it was like I, I remember reading something not too long ago on on the Facebook. So, you know, we can put that out there for what it is. But it was just like we as activists, we as kind of like I won't say leaders, but like organizers who've been around for a while, there there's a deep desire that we need to try to figure out ways to move people past kind of like the, you know, leafleting, rally, workshop type of organizing, right? And, it, and you know, when if you've been in organizing spaces, you know that those are kind of basically the sort of three things that you do. <laughs> you, you leaflet, you hold workshops, and you hold rallies. Like there, there's not a whole oh lot else in there. <laughs> <laughs> and I I like this because it's just like I like that because I think like this is an attempt to try to figure out a way that there is more than that that like fiction is also political mm-hmm. these stories that we hear are also political and maybe this can be a way that we can engage people who aren't necessarily like full with us on everything but like to try to kind of move people and try to open up our movements to be encompassing so it's not just kind of like these three things but like we can actually try to understand the culture as a whole that like that's how we need to move things mm-hmm. what do you think about it in the sense of like i was thinking about like the tools we actually use for transformation and emancipation or, or liberation what, whichever word we want to use so like the tools that we use for these things if we want to think about how do we drive and shape those tools out of these the things that people find compelling, which are these narratives about how complicated the world is, as opposed to simple black and white narratives of like, this is, these are the good guys and these are the bad guys. Because the good and bad guy stories might be the sort of the daily thing that we get, but they're not actually the lasting stories. They're not the stories that carry over for mm-hmm. a long time. So, sorry, like, what's kind of the question you're kind of kind <clears throat> trying to drive at? I guess I'm thinking, like, is part of the, is part of what we're doing here to, to find a way to, like, use fiction for developing more tools towards this kind of work? Um, because, you know, we've talked about this before, and I think it's worth uh, talking about it here. There is a difference between the fiction that we're reading as political and the kind of analysis work that we might read as sort of political analysis of a particular issue versus a piece of fiction that kind of grapples with with these issues. Yeah, fiction does build like the different tools that are available to us. And again, be that it's understanding different stories that are that are that are out there, it's understanding art as political and that art has the ch- like like we also kind of need to develop ourselves and we can do that through like like different types of art can provide us and change our change change ourselves and change like bring us to change kind of like systems as well to develop better art yeah i mean i so i was thinking about like how we talk so in this podcast we really want to be talking about how fiction um helps us and, and challenges us and pushes us to, to our political thinking and our thinking as people striving for, you know, a better world, a more just world. Um, but fiction isn't analysis in the sense that it doesn't necessarily take us to specific political actions and it doesn't necessarily provide us with specific sort of 
understandings about a specific uh, about issues and like we've talked about in the past how sometimes there's a bit of a tension because sometimes you realize you have to have the analysis before you read the text otherwise there's pieces of the text that you're missing or do you get to read the text first and then develop the analysis afterwards so it's like there's a balance and there's a play between those things but it's like I think that play and that usefulness of both analysis to art and art to analysis or art to politics is kind of the the space that we're trying to like think about yeah no absolutely when you phrase it like that I, th I think it's it's an interesting kind of thought and I mean maybe it's just like people are going to be more willing to open up a fiction book than they are necessarily to open up some type of nonfiction critical analysis history you name it so it's kind of like, I think our jobs is to draw people out. So like, like if they, they do pick up like a book that is very difficult with difficult subject matter, um, like I'm thinking like historical colonialism in Canada, for example, it's kind of, I think it's our job to assist in that understanding and, and, and showing people that this is what that critical analysis can bring. Mm. Um, but if it's a way in for people, I think we should embrace it mm -hmm. as like this is a way in that people want to change. They want to, even if they aren't reading it for necessary liberation, we can kind of gra grab hold of it and like, you know, what is, what's the really terrible phrase? Like get a toehold and, and right. just like be able to like poke at things from there. Mm -hmm. And I think like literature, like understanding the, the political implications of literature is it's important for us to do that it mm -hmm. helps us do that mm -hmm. absolutely so we said at the beginning too that part of the motivation for this project was because we are both readers and a lot of our lives are shaped around the, our identities as readers, um, which as I said is not the same for everyone and doesn't need to be the same for everyone. Mm -hmm. But maybe we should talk a bit about who we are as readers and how we got to the place that we are as readers now. Yeah. Where I am with my love of reading now has always been up and down and hasn't quite been there. So, I like, when I was thinking about this, it was just, like, as a kid, like, I'm talking, like, probably, like, 8 to, like, 11 or 12, I love to read. And in particularly, I love Little House on the Prairie by Laura Ingalls <laughs> Wilder and the Hardy Boys. It's going to be a theme of this podcast that Blake is a prairie boy. <laughs> Born and raised on the prairies. <laughs> And, like, those, like, I loved those books so much. Like, that's all I wanted to read were, like, these silly mysteries or these silly, like, you know, <laughs> colonization stories. Um, but then reading became uncool, right? Like, you hit that age where just, like, you read books for fun, you were a loser. And so I stopped. And I didn't read anything outside of what I had to read for school until grade 12, and I remember it because I wanted to read that stupid book with Holden Caulfield. 
Catcher in the Rye. Catcher in the Rye, because it was like... Oh, We're sorry, J.D. Salinger. I'm not sorry. I hate that book. <laughs> but it was just like, it was one of those things where it was like, as I was like starting to become my own person, it was just like, oh, this is the book that all these people who've tried to assassinate... Like, like all of these different Did you watch Conspiracy That's Theory? That's exactly what it was, I think. <laughs> so I read it, and I remember it taking me the entire year to read it, and I hated every minute of it. So then, then after high school, I did, like, where I worked and traveled for a bit, and I fell in love with reading again there. However, I think I fell in love with a little bit more nonfiction than fiction, um, especially, like, really cheesy travelogues. <laughs> Also, not uncolonial. No, no. Oh, there's another scene that's coming up. Here. <laughs> um, and then I started university, and for me, fiction was passe. Like it wasn't. It wasn't the real politics of reading something by like, you know, Hart and Negri, or like, re- like you know, reading those real politics books that that you think matter in university. So then I finished university. And I found myself woefully underemployed, like so many of us do. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, I start. I, I just remember there was one day where I had done nothing, where I had like just binged, watched some show that I had already watched like four times, and then I saw like a book over to the side that I had a, like that I was still reading, and it was just I was so angry at myself for choosing to watch this stupid TV show and not reading the book that it forced me to challenge myself to read more and that from that point on it was just like actually making that that mental effort that I want to read and I wanted to pick up books to read and then like coming out of university having you know the degree in peace studies and women's studies and labor studies I had enough understanding that like like who I wanted to read mattered so I just didn't want to pick up like you know, the most popular book or, like, the historical books that everybody says you should read. So I I just started to really enjoy looking for different authors to read and looking for different books to read to the point where, like, fiction became almost entirely what I was reading. And, yeah, so it, it just felt like as I started to read more and more, I just felt that I could start to have an attempt to understand the world a little bit more than my educational experience could have ever given me. Mm-hmm. And I just, yeah, I really, really started to to enjoy it. And then through kind of conversations that I would have with you or I'd have with some other people or that, you know, just online analyses that you would start to read of books, I, I then just started to see kind of the, the political importance of what I was reading mm-hmm. and how that I felt that this reading made me a better activist or had the potential to make me a better activist or a better organizer, community organizer. Hmm. So that's my personal history of reading. Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, I think for me, um, I grew up surrounded by books. Um, My mother is a reference librarian and was also an English major. Um, She came to Canada um, when she was for university and uh, she's, you know, a brown woman, immigrant, who put a lot of value and placed a lot of value on reading, um, particularly on sort of reading, (laughs) always reading above your grade level and always reading things that were kind of from the canon and from the sort of um, the English majors 
the English major's world. Um, so, you know, our home was always just like cluttered with books and reading was really, really important um, for a couple of reasons for me. I was also um, a creative writer when I was younger. I wrote a lot of short stories and a lot of poems and I did a lot of this to escape. I had like some difficult things happen in my life and it was like a nice way to escape and just like not be in the world that I was in and not be the person that I was because I just didn't like the person I was. Um, but it was also this really strange thing that well is like that's a really good piece about fiction and about literature that allows you to kind of explore other worlds. The bad piece about fiction and literature for me was though that it was held up in my family as like the way to be worthy and the way to get sort of love and attention for example was to be a fantastic reader and to be someone who's always pushing those limits so it was this this really weird combination of being something that like helped me um, but also was like a tool that disciplined me <laughs> and going into high school you know I, I kept reading but I also kept shutting down emotionally um, as a person, like I was a very sort of, I did not engage at all with my own emotions. And so when I read, I didn't necessarily engage enough with the emotions of the things I was reading. And I just found myself increasingly picking up books and reading things that were quite good, quite uh, advanced, and yet not really getting them because I wouldn't necessarily have the capacity to like emotionally connect with them. And then, of course, I ended up in, like, university working 30 hours a week while I was doing five classes <laughs> and then going to grad school for a ridiculously long time. And that kind of fucks with your ability to read fiction and also, like, fucks with, like, like you were saying about university. University, like, really, really challenges your ability to see fiction as worth your time. And that's really sad. Like, that's a really sad statement about university and also particularly like we're both in like social science and humanities and that's the kind of mentality that we yeah. left university with um yeah i think i think since then i've been really working on basically becoming a better reader becoming a reader who really like mm. thinks about the emotions of the things that i'm reading and um tries to feel things and also someone who like you said tries to think about the importance of what I read, you know, like which books I choose to pick up is actually important. And it's not just about getting praise or getting like self-worth out of the books that you pick up to read. It's actually about who these stories are about and the way the stories matter. So from that, like we also wanted to talk about some of the sort of books that we read early on in this process of becoming better readers, because I think that's kind of where we're both at. We're both like in this process of trying to be better readers. And um, like I said, when I was in high school, a lot of my reading was very um, stilted. And uh, the one, the two sort of big books that really challenged that feeling for me um, in high school were Papillon, and, which I read, I think, in grade 12. And then I got on like a really big Virginia Woolf kick when I was in high school um, and read, uh, so two of my favorite books by her or actually To the Lighthouse and The Waves, um, both of which kind of are more abstract stream of consciousness than like Mrs. Dalloway, for example. 
I felt I felt something when I read those books, and it was one of those first moments of like feeling like somebody had opened into some inner feelings, um, particularly around like depression. And that was really, even though those are about like internal things, I think it was a really important moment to read books. Um, Papillon was one of the few books that I read in high school that actually gave me, like, made me cry. Um, and not really cry, but like made me feel like I could cry. Uh, I don't know why, it just did. And I think that that was an important part of my process of becoming a better reader because it did open me to the empathy piece of being a good reader and the empathy piece of what fiction does when it actually can liberate us. Yeah, so for me, for my early reads that I think like, yeah, in the process of becoming a better reader, I think there are three. One was when I was in high school. My mom always had like a whole bunch of older books and she was like, oh, here. And she just gave me, I think I was looking for like one of the thinnest books that I could read. And it was The Pearl by John Steinbeck. Mm. And The Pearl is this very sad book about this couple whose child is dying and he's a, a pearl diver and they don't have money to pay for the, the medications and he finds this perfect pearl. But because nobody wants to buy it at the fair price that he thinks he deserves for this pearl, they go on they go on a search for it to, to like to find better prices. I, I I don't necessarily know what it means like how I felt while I was reading it. I just remember reading it and being like, "This is really good," and just remember being at the ending of it being like, "This is incredibly sad." And I just felt really really bad for for the family for the characters. Because all they wanted was just for, like, you know, to get their kid healthy. And then the other two books that I read, yeah, they both, both I read them when I was 18, and both when I was kind of doing my first, like, little travel right out of high school. Woman Warrior by Maxine Hong Kingston. And what I do remember about it is it's in California, and it basically tells the life of, like, it's a, I think it's a semi-autobiographical um, story about just a young Chinese woman just living her life and I had never read a book like that before and just like feeling yeah again like feeling sad but then at the same time like thinking like there was so much power in like kind of what was happening in the in in this character and her her struggles to like you know f you know I wouldn't use that language when I was 18 but like fight against the patriarchy, to fight against white supremacy, just to try to have a normal life. And then the other book I read when I was 18 was Purple Hibiscus, and that was Chimananda Ngozi Adichie's first novel. That's set in a middle-class Nigerian family with a very abusive Christian father, like re religious father, and it's about kind of like the girls and the mom who have to struggle underneath, uh, like through this patriarchy. And Again, it was really good. It was really sad. There's there are moments where I, like I still can, like the violence was so graphic and so brutal that like I still like have those things like as like some of the worst violence that I think I've read in a novel like are seared onto my brain. And I think for me that particularly those two two novels that I think was just what I really liked about them was that they didn't center me. 
Mm-hmm. Like it, 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 it just felt like as I was reading them, I, like a door was opening into a world that I had no idea about. I just found really, really engaging and interesting at that time. Mm-hmm. But and see, I find that interesting, and I mean, maybe this is just kind of like the race gender difference, because mm-hmm. like again, going back to the Catcher in the Rye, right? Like I read that at eighteen, like that's like how old the character was in that book, like seventeen, eighteen. So like theoretically, that's that's a book that should have I should have gravitated towards because like he had no friends and he was just like this meandering kind of whiny child who was just trying to get around where it's just like that's like very similar to like what my life was like in high school Mm. so like I don't know where it's just like yeah I hated that so much where it's just like it's almost like I was trying to get away from that like you almost like for me it's almost like I needed to not hear stories about the the trials and tribulations of the 18 year old man to like understand who I was as a person mm-hmm. to like center myself like and understanding myself through kind of like these stories that were so so different from who I am mm. that makes sense it does it does make sense it's I mean there's so many stories written about the trials and tribulations of 18 year old men and it's just there is a question of how much can actually be drawn from the trials and tribulations of 18 year old men I would agree completely right, right? <laughs> um but I think it's all like also kind of what I'm what I'm trying to say about my experience is not necessarily that like I saw myself in mm-hmm. like Virginia Woolf's characters, for example, because I didn't really. But what I did get from those was the ability to feel something that kind of it's like what we were saying earlier, like we can't be whole people unless we also think about who we are as feeling people, as mm-hmm. people with emotions. So, like, I wasn't a whole person until I was really able to read in a way that, rec- that I, where I could recognize my own emotions. Yeah. It's, it's sort of interesting thinking about the books that kind of open us. Because, for me, uh, this is a really easy answer. Like, I know the book that was sort of the first, the first moment of reading where I really saw the connection between fiction and the world as a place of power. And the, and the kind of power dynamics of the world out there. And, um, and soft fiction is a way both to grapple with those and then also potentially challenge them. And for me, that was um, reading Timothy Finley's Not Wanted on the Voyage. So this book has a very special place in my heart. Um, it's one of the very, very, very few books in my life that I've actually read twice, which is, that says a lot. Like I've read maybe five books in my life twice. Um, and, uh, so Not Wanted on the Voyage is like an, it's an allegory in a certain way, but it's also just a retelling of the story of Noah's Ark. And of course, being raised as the good little Protestant that I was, I have a soft spot for retellings of biblical stories. Um, but it's a a retelling that kind of highlights the sort of patriarchal, um, structure of society and really highlights like there's been a lot written about it as sort of an eco-feminist challenging of the way that the world is is sort of constructed and divided for like male dominance but and then also human dominance because of the way that the animals are treated and and anyway it's it's there's a lot to be said about it but really it was just one of those books that I read not knowing any of that loved the story and loved the way that it was told but was also like quite genuinely shocked by it Mm -hmm. and was just 
like it just opened so much for me in terms of thinking about like like actually for the first time thinking about stories as political and I know it sounds crazy but like I did not really think about fiction stories as political Mm. like in a in a in a substantial way before reading that um, and it was after reading uh, Not Wanted on the Voyage that I started opening myself to books that could that could do some of that. But then also like opening myself to books that weren't necessarily part of the canon or weren't necessarily written by the white men about other white men. Um, other books that kind of shocked me in this way or like pushed me in this way um, were Reading Shame by Salman Rushdie. That was a big one for me. And then like just randomly picking up and reading The God of Small Things by mm. Arundhati Roy was just another moment of just like, my mind is blown by what fiction is capable of doing that, that I never thought of before. Like God of Small Things, Not Wanted on the Voyage, these kind of books have very specific political targets. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of, they're kind of good books to have read at a, at a younger age to kind of open up to the possibilities of books and politics. Yeah. Um, because like some of the books that that we might talk about on this podcast don't necessarily have the same kind of direct political targets, but are still beautifully connected to the political lives that we're that we're that we're thinking about living and and the kind mm. of work we're doing. So it's just it's an interesting journey to like just continually doing that work of becoming better readers and becoming readers who see different things. Anyway, we don't want to get too rambly about, I'm sure we could talk for hours about all the books we've read when we were younger. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's also something that like, maybe you as listeners would be interested in doing for yourselves is like thinking about your own personal history of reading or engaging with whichever like art form or media form that you engage with, because we all we all have those. So what's your personal history? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we're going to be trying to be a little bit more deliberate and scheduled and regular with this podcast. So we have some ideas for our upcoming episodes. And our goal is to have a podcast out every couple months. Yes. We got a schedule and it's on the schedule. So it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> So stay tuned for more to come, and thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much. Music for this podcast is by Ketza from their album Metamorphosis. You can find them at the Free Music Archive or at ketzamusic.com. 